In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. As today is Mother's Day, it is appropriate for us to consider certain aspects of motherhood and, in a more general sense, parenthood. The fourth commandment is the commandment that obliges us to honor our father and our mother. It is the first commandment that doesn't deal with God himself and its placement right after those commandments that deal with our duties towards God is very pertinent. It shows that God represents himself and acts through our parents as by secondary means or as a secondary cause by which he ensures our welfare. Parents are not simply uh, there to give us birth, to provide life for us, and then to leave us alone. The parent has the right, an in, a usually inalienable right, to educate their child. They are the primary educators of their children, and the government has no place interfering in this sacred duty and right of parents. Today we see with the socialization of the, of the West, many governments usurp the right of parents to teach their children and this is an act of violence. It's usurping a God-given right, <clears throat> which the state cannot take for itself. This is immoral and unjust. The state, when it goes beyond its legitimate boundaries, loses its authority. And we can and should disobey the state in this case. So when the state tries to take children out of the home because it disagrees with what the parents teach, the parents have the right and perhaps even the duty to disobey the state and to flee, to defend their children. Because all authority that's legitimate comes from God. And when the state takes away the legitimate authority of parents, that's not from God because the state has no authority to change the order established by God himself in human society and human nature. The state has a responsibility to keep the peace, maintain the borders, and ensure to the extent it's possible the common good of the nation. But it's not there to interfere with parental prerogatives such as the bearing and rearing of children. Marriage exists primarily for the education, the propagation and education of the human race. And this is a sacred participation that parents have in God's own providential and pedagogical work. God doesn't appear to each of us to give us arithmetic lessons. He confides that task to our parents. In an analogous way, the priest is God's instrument for our spiritual betterment. The priest absolves us in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Holy Trinity, not in his own name. John O'Connor has no power in himself to absolve sin, but because I, like all other priests, have been ontologically configured to the high priest. He uses me as his instrument to accomplish the work of redemption in the world until he returns. Parents, it's interesting, participate in a similar task. They are confided with a real sacred duty and office, not in the redemption so much, but also in the redemptive act of Christ to a degree, but in God's creative work. The work of the creation of new souls, parents participate in that. That's why it's called procreation. They assist, in a sense, they lend themselves to God 
in order that God may bring about new human beings in order to populate the kingdom of heaven. And then they are called on to raise them in the fear of the Lord, which we know is the beginning of all wisdom. Today, so few children respect their parents. It's very fashionable to dishonor and to disrespect one's parents, to treat them with contempt. Um, and this, is, this betrays an insecure personality. It also betrays a, a, a lack of esteem for oneself because each of us is an extension of our parents. We contain within ourselves that which is in our parents, what we've received from our ancestors. So to speak ill of one's parents is to implicitly to criticize oneself, to denigrate one's own qualities. So it is a very natural and a supernaturally good thing to honor one's father and one's mother. To dishonor them is a grave sin. But today, the world, and unfortunately there are some complicit in the church in this, that seek to destroy the established nature of, of, of the family, of the family unit. Men and women are not the same. They are equal, but distinct. They are different. The husband and the father has a different role than the wife and the mother. And a mother is not a birthing person, as has been said in the United States recently. It's more apparently more woke and more correct to speak of birthing persons because according to this insane ideology, certain men can give birth because of transgenderism. This is, of course, absurd and beyond laughable. It doesn't merit a rebuttal, but I will say that God creates male and female. That is of divine institution. There are no other sexes or genders. And transgender is not real. So Bruce Jenner is a man. He may go by the name Caitlin, but he is a man, and we should all say so. And anyone else who falls into this category, they need prayers. But to call a man who considers himself to be a woman she is to implicitly, at least, condone the insanity of their behavior. And it's not just insanity, it's a diabolical affront to God the Creator who creates male and female. You cannot, by self-mutilation and cross-dressing, become something you're not. If you're born a woman, even if you have a big beard, you're not going to be a man. And a man can dress up as a woman till the cows come home. He will never be a woman. And so these examples, these very public figures, such as Bruce Jenner, they are not... They are not what they purport to be because God creates male and female. So we have to pray for them. We have to have compassion on them, pitying them, hoping that they come back to some right reason about existence. But we do not enter into insanity because it's an affront to God's truth and it's an affront to God's beauty and to the established order of creation. It's something that Lucifer desires because he wishes to destroy what God has created. God created in his image and likeness. And then we come down and wish to be like unto God in the same way Lucifer did by creating the world in our image and likeness. And we see what that produces. It produces the monstrosities that we behold today. 
So birthing person is absurd. There is no such thing. There is a mother because the only human beings that can give birth are women. This, no matter what the scientists will tell us, only a woman can give birth. And th there's a reason for that. The woman is better able by nature to nurture. She is more intuitive in her understanding of weakness, of that which is delicate, of what needs more care, more tender care than the man is. And the mother is by nature required to tend the youngest and the most fragile among us. And thank God for that tenderness and that love. The mother instills and infuses into the hearts and souls of her little ones the capacity for love. Love is experienced for the first time through one's mother. The mother is herself a living tabernacle of her child. She is a real and true bodily shield, a human shield that encompasses her little baby. It is a beautiful and awe-inspiring gift that God gives to women to be able to nurture life in its smallest and most fragile stages. It's not something to be disdained or viewed as weak. On the contrary, it requires great strength and great sacrifice. Every mother gives their life for their child to greater or lesser degree. They give their lifeblood to their children, and this is a beautiful giving. Nature itself seeks that, and it really is what is the crown of the glory <clears throat> of many women, is their motherhood. The sacrament of matrimony itself derives its name from the Latin words matris, which means mother, and munus, which means office or gift. So it is the gift or the office of motherhood. The gift, office, or duty is another translation of munus. Munus is also used for the priesthood, the three munera, which are the three offices or dignities of the priest to teach, to govern, and to sanctify. But mothers have their own office, and they represent God to their children in a very real and concrete way. God doesn't give us fuzzy guardian angels to come and coddle us when we're crying as a baby. He gives us our mother. And our relationship with our mother is the most intimate relationship that there is in the world. Our mother will always be our mother, even when she passes to the next life. Whereas the relationship between husband and wife is destined to end at the death of one or the other of the spouses. Certainly there will be a special memory of one's married life on earth, but one is no longer married when one reaches heaven. But once one's in heaven, your mother is always going to be your mother, and your father will always remain your father. And you will always owe them a certain debt of gratitude for giving you the gift of life. It's a debt which can never fully be repaid. No matter what we do, we cannot equal the gift of existence. That's something that can never be bridged completely. It's analogous to God's creating us. It's something that we will always be God's debtors, and we will also always, in a certain way, be our parents' debtors. So we should really foster in our hearts a great affection and a great gratitude for our parents, even when they get old, even when they can be difficult, even when we disagree. 
We should always do so with great charity and great reverence, maintaining a certain filial piety and even fear, a fear of offending our parents because we owe them our existence. And to us, they represent the divine bounty, the divine providence, the divine goodness that called us from nothingness into being. Our parents cooperated with the Creator in that process. So let us pray that women around the world respect their own femininity enough to have self-confidence in themselves, in their great mission, which is one of protecting, preserving, nurturing, and educating human life. The crisis in the world does not come because we have evil politicians. The crisis in the world does not come even because we have wicked prelates or mediocre priests. The crisis in the world today stems really most radically from the fact that there is a crisis in the family. If the family is preserved in God's grace and strength, then the world will do well because the family is the ultimate bulk work against the lies and the perversions of corrupt men, both in the state and in the church. But when the family collapses, there is nowhere else to turn. You might have an individual here or there by God's grace survive, but the family, when it collapses, there is nothing to withstand the onslaught of hell. So if you want to have a cultural revolution in a good sense, if you want the kingdom of Christ to reign over you, your family, and our world, have families, have many children, and educate them in the fear and the love of God. And in doing this, you will do more to lift up the world from the darkness around us than you will by reading blogs, by posting Twitter flames and so on and so forth, by listening to the latest podcaster. All of that is well and good. It has its place, but it's doing little to nothing to lift the world out of the abyss. Having children and educating those children and leading them in the, the ways of God is contributing to the revival of a Christian society. And there is strength in numbers, so quantities of good Catholic families will make a difference. Let us defend our families and our friends, our parishes, from all of these diabolical lies. We have to sometimes call a spade a spade. Sometimes we have to call a man a man if he's a man and not call him a woman. And that is not always culturally or socially or politically correct. But political correctness has never gotten a single soul into heaven. But it probably has brought many, many souls to hell. And so let's forget about political correctness. Let's embrace the truth. For Christ himself tells us the truth shall set you free. It's not by being respected by the local university professors that we are set free. That is simply enslavement to communist ideology. It's by obedience and love of Jesus Christ and maintaining our families, our hearts, our souls, and our minds in his love, his law, his truth, his grace that will bring us peace in this life and salvation in the next. May Our Lady, during this beautiful month of Mary, obtain for us and our families all of these graces. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.